Well, all right, America, as promised, uh, your Big Dog for Talk has another fantastic Big Dog guest. Uh, my guest now for, I think, maybe the fourth or fifth time in the last five or six years is none other than Dinesh D'Souza. His, um, I mean, this is a quite prolific author and filmmaker uh, now with uh, three or four of the top ten all-time uh, documentaries. The latest is Death of a Nation. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, the movie already. We, we spoke about it last week. And uh, and he would, here with us now is the man himself, uh, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, thank you again so much uh, for joining us and, uh, and sharing with Hatchet Nation. Uh, good to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this... This, this this movie reveals uh, and the book the, the the movie and the book are both great. My wife and I saw the movie last week. By the way, loved it, loved it. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the the Democrats they project onto Republicans. They project onto Christians. It seems they project onto anyone that believes in uh, the reality of God, that believes in law and order, that believes in uh, true justice, not some, you know, hyphenated uh, uh, justice. Uh, The latest term is social justice. It seems they project onto us the things that you reveal that they have not just recently started doing in the last 50, 60 years, but have been doing since the birth of the Democrat Party. Yes. In the movie, I focus on two issues, um, the issue of racism or white supremacy and also the issue of fascism. Now, notice that these are both incendiary accusations that are thrown against Trump and against the Republican Party, against conservatives. Um, And these charges have been around with us for a while now. Mm -hmm. The notion that fascism is on the right, I mean, that's a notion that goes back to World War II. The notion that racism is today a feature of the Republican Party, Obama alluded to it in a recent speech, but the idea goes back to the 1960s. And so what I do in the movie is I I sort of excavate uh, what the truth is about fascism and about racism. And sure enough, we discover that the fascist and the racist tale, not just historically, but now really Mm -hmm. belong on the Democratic donkey. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And what what. I really learned from this and, you know, my audience, they get a full dose of this from me every week. Okay, but what you're going to learn, audience, is that a lot of these things were actually learned from the Democrat Party. I mean, chronologically, the Democrat Party is older than the fascist party from Mussolini's Mussolini's Italy, older than uh, Hitler's Nazis, older than... Russia. I mean, it's older than it, older than Mao. I mean, share the roots. How did these people literally learn from and imitated different aspects of various Democrat Party leaders throughout the years? Well, you're now pointing to something that is a historical bombshell that has been buried under the carpet by progressive historians for a whole generation now. And that is that when the fascists came along, this is Mussolini in the 20s and then the Nazis in the 1930s, they noticed that the Democratic Party, the progressive Democrats in America, were their ideological allies. And in fact, the Nazis got three big ideas, um, three of their most bigoted and murderous schemes 
from American progressives and from the American Democratic Party. Now, again, when I say this on campus, young people look at me funny as if to say, wow, I mean, we've never heard this. It's not in our history books. You know, we of don't see it on not. the History Channel. Yes. can't find it in Wikipedia. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, of course you can't. That's because progressives dominate the writing of the textbooks. They have very cunningly left this stuff out. But here it is in the historical record. See, I didn't just make a movie. I wrote a book of the same title, which has all the supporting references. Mm-hmm. And so the, so the so history itself can't be altered because the documentation is all there. And uh, yes, the Nazi eugenic schemes about killing the handicapped, sterilizing people against their will, they got that from American progressives. Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger. Hitler's idea that he didn't have to be a colonialist in Asia or Africa, that he could uh, conquer in Europe and drive the Poles and the Slavs off their land and take that land. He got that idea from Andrew Jackson and the 19th century Democrats. Mm-hmm. And um, and so and finally, the the Nuremberg laws, which made Jews into second class citizens, the Nazis literally lifted that using the blueprints of Democratic segregation laws in the American South. I mean, literally, the Nazis were holding the Democratic laws in their hands. Mm-hmm. They crossed out the word black, wrote in the word Jew. Uh, and so all of this, as I say, this is history, but it's history that has been uh, has been yeah. hidden. Uh, to keep it from young people. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, now the cat is out of the bag. You know, one of the things I, in reading your book, Dinesh, I found this so fascinating. There was a passage you wrote how the uh, the uh, in, in, in Nuremberg, and you think of Nuremberg as a place where the Nuremberg trial was. You, you know, I, this is the first time hearing of Nuremberg in the way that you research it but you share that they were saying that some of the um some of the southern laws against blacks that the democrat party they were saying oh that's too harsh you know share that uh <laughs> share that story and, and how they well, find yeah <laughs> it's this is actually so ironic and in a way <laughs> tragic nazis were they were having trouble figuring out how do you define a jew And the reason was that ever since the Middle Ages, there were Jews who had converted to Christianity. There were obviously Jews in Germany who had married non-Jews, so they had had children. And so the question was, how do you classify a Jew? And so the Nazis asked around, and uh, and they discovered that in America, the Democrats had come up with an idea, uh, the the enforcement mechanism of the segregation laws, and that was called the one-drop rule. And the one-drop rule very simply means that one drop of black blood makes you black. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you have any discernible black ancestry, the democratic segregation laws considered you to be black, and therefore you had to drink from the colored uh, water fountain, you might say. Mm-hmm. Now, the Nazis looked at each other when they found this out, and this, you know, this notion of, of <laughs> the one-drop rule, <laughs> and one of them goes, this is too much. This is too harsh. We can't go this far. So yeah. incredibly, the Nazis found the Democrats too racist even for them. Wow. So, I mean, and, and I think back, uh, Dinesh, all the years that I've been uh, calling this the coalition of evil, and I've been saying that the Democrat Party, it went, and I always say the Democrat Party leadership, you know, I'm try, I, I'm careful to say, not you, Ma and Pa Democrat. And, uh, you know, just like when I beat up on Republican leadership, I'm careful to say, not you, Ma and Pa Republican, but it's, it's your leadership that, you know, that's cowardly and, and, and won't fight. But with this, this, these issues with 
the uh, the Democrats, I've been calling them the coalition of evil uh, for, you know, I think for 10 years now that they are in league with Nazis, with with Mao, with Stalin, with Lenin, with with Hirohito, with, uh, you know, Imperial Japan. And it seems what they all have in common is not only a um, a, a a racism, it's more like a utilitarian racism. It's not that, you know, there, there's something about your skin. It's just I can use your skin to divide and I can accomplish well, my goals because there's a label that can be placed upon you. And that's that old saying that uh, leaders unite, uh, conquerors divide. Yes, this is not racism that comes out of some misunderstanding of character or anthropological inaccuracy. No, this is racism for profit. Um, Lincoln, when he was talking about slavery, he described slavery in a very blunt way. You work, I eat. So for Lincoln, the racial component of slavery was important, but was not fundamental. What's fundamental is one guy works and another guy steals his labor and takes the fruit of it. And Lincoln thought this was the defining characteristic Democratic Party. Now, what I think is so interesting is that, you know, people today will say on the left that, oh, the two parties switched sides. Mm-hmm. Republicans became Democrats, you know. But no, because the Lincoln's core definition of the Democrats, that one guy works and the Democrats steal the fruit of his labor and appropriate it to themselves and do with it, dispose of it as they see fit. Well, that still defines the Democratic Party. And when Lincoln had to define the Republican Party, he said the Republican Party stands for this. The hand that makes the corn has the right to put the corn into its own mouth. Mm -hmm. And so the fundamental principle for Lincoln was you get to keep the fruits of your own labor. Well, that still today defines the Republican Party as far as I can see. Yeah. Now, what is it with Republicans, Dinesh, that we have a fantastic story to tell? You know, as do Christians. I mean, this is a Christian nation. This is a republic and so you, one would think that Republicans would um, ascribe the uh, aspects of what makes us a republic versus what makes, you know, the Democratic components uh, of, of this republic. And, but we, we just have this inability in modern times. We always play defense when we get called racist. And the Democrats never, never, ever have to defend themselves against your very uh, accurate uh, accusations you make against them. And, and, and guys like me, been, been, we've been making these claims for years, And uh, but they're always on offense. We're always on defense. What's up with that? I think part of it is that our guys are not equipped with enough of the truth. And by the truth, I mean not just opinions, but actually raw facts. Um, you know, the, the Democrats have convinced a lot of young people that the Republican Party was the party of slavery. Now, if I go on campus and say, that's not true, the Democratic Party was very obviously the defender of plantation. Typically, some professor will jump up and say, now, come on, Mr. D'Souza, you're being very simplistic. There was plenty of blame to go around. Now, this is the time when I uncork the crushing fact that, that, that is in, indispensable for this kind of debate. And I point out that in 1860, which is the year before the Civil War, I say no Republican owned a slave. Uh, not no Republican leader owned a slave, but no Republican in the United States owned a slave. And this means that all the slaves in the country, four million of them, were owned by Democrats. Now, 
The beauty of this kind of statement is it totally settles the argument. It smashes the idiotic idea that there was equal blame to go around, and it forces my opponent to come up with the names, if he can, of Republicans who own slaves. And if he came up with even one name, I would have to take it back. But the beauty of it is I know that he can't because there weren't. And mm-hmm. so this is the kind of thing that if, if I think is empowering to us, it's the reason I do the movies I do and the books I do is to put this information out there because once you possess it, you become a very dangerous American. Yeah, yeah. And I suggest that every single Republican aspirant to office, <laughs> absolutely, not only should they see your movie, Dinesh, they should get the Dinesh D'Souza Library, okay? <laughs> I'm well, serious. Well, the in the movie, uh, they're a nice one-two punch because yeah. the movie dramatizes it. It's an emotional experience and insp- inspiring, but the book then has chapter and verse. Yeah, yeah. Now, you also, uh, you break down a, a, a history of some of the uh, icons of the Democrat Party and, and this, this notion of the two parties that switch. And, man, I get an earful of that silliness, you know, over and over. Uh, for years, I've been having that spouted at me, but... I did not know um, how I knew they were wrong, but I didn't know that they were like 99.99% wrong. So share with the audience the just the raw numbers of this so-called switch uh, of um, lawmakers who allegedly switched and, and, and how, you know, uh, Republican Richard Nixon, the great things he did and the, and the false label that he gets. Well, the, the, the leftist narrative is that Richard Nixon con- constructed a conniving Southern strategy in which he went to the Deep South and convinced the racist Dixiecrats to become Republicans. And again, this is presented as an article of faith. People say to me things like, oh, Dinesh, don't you know that the two parties switch? Don't you know about the Southern strategy? Don't you know? And the truth of it is, all of this is a bogus narrative. Number one, no one has ever uncovered a racist uh, campaign statement by Richard Nixon. Number two, uh, Nixon didn't campaign in the, in the deep south, campaigned in the upper or peripheral south, the so-called Sun Belt stretching from Florida to California. The deep south was, in fact, won by George Wallace, the Democratic segregationist. Uh, number three, Nixon is the inventor of affirmative action. He implemented America's first affirmative action program. So does that sound like the actions of a racist who's trying to court the racist white vote? Absolutely yeah, exactly. not. Mm-hmm. Well, most importantly, on the screen, I put up the names of all the Dixiecrats. There are about a hundred of them in the House and the Senate. And then I count the number that switched to the Republican Party. And that number is exactly two. One in the House, Albert Watson. One in the Senate, Strom Thurmond. And all the other 98 racist Dixiecrats stayed and lived and died in the Democratic Party. So just it's a simply an empirical falsehood to state Mm -hmm. that the racist Dixiecrats became Republicans. As a matter of fact, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. It's like we used to say, I'm born a Baptist, I'm going to die a Baptist. These guys (laughs) said, I'm born a Democrat, I'm going to die a Democrat. (laughs) And and to this day, they're lionizing the Democratic Party. I mean, think of how Hillary Clinton called Robert Byrd. Now, this is a guy who was one of the heads of the West Virginia Ku Klux Klan. This is the guy who filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But she calls him her mentor. Bill Clinton and Obama were at his funeral. So 
you know, guys like David Duke are excommunicated and pariahs in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. but guys like Robert Byrd are heroes in the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's absolutely amazing. Now, update to modern times, okay, and how you talk about um, the big house, okay, and how this 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 notion of of slavery where you had someone else responsible for your well-being or in their they would say responsible for your happiness of course you could not be happy in slavery but they they made the slaves not responsible and so now the democrat party has a new plantation there are no physical chains but not a whole lot other than the physical chains are gone what has changed, Dinesh? Well, the defining feature of slavery, we have to remember, was dependency and lack of responsibility. Uh, the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass says he was a slave. His master told him, never think about the future. I'll leave that entirely to me. In other words, he wanted the slave completely dependent on him for his every need and happiness. And the point is that today, the Democratic Party, I'm not saying it's the same as it was in 1830, obviously not, but it still runs these ethnic plantations. Now, the plantation has sort of expanded. It's no longer, you now have ghettos for blacks, but you have barrios for Latinos, you have reservations for Native Americans. And notice that many of the features of the old slave plantation, from dilapidated housing to broken families, the high degree of violence that you see on the plantation, the lack of opportunity or education, no one gets ahead, the atmosphere of nihilism and despair, all these features that the historian Kenneth Stamp identified as the the sort of hallmarks of the old slave plantation, all of those can be found today, not just in Oakland and Baltimore and Chicago, but again in the in the Latino barrios of South Texas or California, in the Pine Ridge Native American Reservation in South Dakota. There it is, the same features, and it's the same party running the show. Yeah, yeah, not a whole lot has changed. Now, final question, Dinesh, for, let's say, obviously, we're reaching out to people you know, one of the reasons when I critique Democrats, I'm always careful to say I don't mean you, Ma and Pa Democrat, is because I'm trying to win them over. Okay, and so and I'm trying to describe uh, the deception that's been played upon them for generations and the lies that are told. So many in my audience get that already, but many of them will have um, young people or family members, cousins, uh, whomever that maybe they're they're stuck in a ghetto with a ghetto mindset. Maybe they, you know, they wear these baggy pants and they don't work and they have, you know, a baby by this girl, a baby by that girl. That You know, how, what can people do to reach these people that, because there's, let's face it, there's some people that it's very, very difficult to reach uh, because, you know, if they don't hear this truth, they cannot turn it over in their head and make a decision about it. So what can individual listeners to this, this program, listeners to you, readers of your books, viewers of your films, what can they do to help emancipate uh, some of their um, people within their circle from the Democrat plantation? Well, I think that three things need to happen. You need to have information or knowledge 
The second thing is you have to know that there is a different and a better way. And the third is that you have to be able to overcome the fear that allows, that prevents you from taking that step. Um, the writer, Mary Chestnut, who was writing about the Civil War, she was on the southern side, the wife of a powerful Democratic senator, James Chestnut. She made a very crushing observation in the early stages of the Civil War. She said, I noticed that the slaves who can leave the plantation now because all our men are at the front fighting. Many of them don't. They're afraid to. They stay on the plantation. And why? Because they don't know what else they could do outside the plantation. And the Democrats have worked today really hard to inculcate in people that sense of fear and dependency. Like, what would you do if you got out of the inner city? Your life may be miserable here, but what life would you have outside it? People have to know that, A, there is a better life. There is There are ladders of opportunity. And here's how I can overcome the fear that tells me that I can't I can't succeed in that world. Wow, yeah, and uh, that that that's powerful, Dinesh. And uh, my prayer is that there are folks, uh, you know, even folks that are not in the plantation but have, you know, family members that are on the plantation that they will they will uh, get rid of the fear. You think that there's a, a, a certainly a censorship fear of if you speak out. Uh, you know, we're going to smack you down. You, you're going to lose your job. You won't get tenure. You, you know, on and on and on. I mean, look at what they did to you. My, my goodness. I mean, uh, this Manning guy who, who wears a dress now, um, he got a pardon and his documents were found in Osama bin Laden's bedroom and they put you in prison because of what? Because of this, what you're doing, making movies and writing books. Well, clearly the books and movies are, they're having an impact and they, uh, the left is, 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 is scared, you know, and they'll use the weapons of the government from the IRS to the FBI to go after their critics. So this is an America that has taken a dark turn, in my opinion. The good news, I think, is now people are waking up to it. I mean, had Hillary won the election, all of this would have been, would, would have been covered up, just like the history that I've been talking about in this mm-hmm. interview. They would have covered up the crimes of the deep state. But fortunately, it's getting out there. People are getting the message. And so I think there is a, there is a wind of change blowing in the country. Yeah, yeah. And look, you're a very, very big part of that. So I just want to say thank you and God bless you. You're a true watchman on the wall. And uh, we wish you much, much uh, continued success. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.